Matt Simon is a columnist at Wired and the author of A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. This is Matt Simon. I'm Duncan Gammy. You're listening to Dunk Tank. Great. I'm here with Matt Simon. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. And thank you for having me. So you wrote a book um, and put it out recently called A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. And uh, I, I know that sometimes these these titles um, for, for books are sort of uh, concocted by the publishers. Uh, so I don't want to put too much weight on just the title, uh, but I do kind of want to examine you know, this for just a moment, um, mostly because this is forming the basis of our discussion. Can, can you uh, tell us, I know it may sound obvious, but w- what exactly is a microplastic? Sure. So microplastic is defined scientifically as a little bit of plastic that's smaller than five millimeters. That's about the width of a pencil eraser. So we're all familiar with macroplastics. That's things like bottles and bags and um, the big stuff, really. But when those break down in the environment, they break down into microplastics, uh, less than five millimeters, but also into nanoplastics, which are smaller than a millionth of a meter. Uh, So these things get extraordinarily small. And I, I call it a poison like no other on, on two levels. So poison in, in the metaphorical sense is this corrupting influence that has uh, you know, infiltrated not only every corner of this planet, but also our own bodies, um, but also in the you know, traditional toxicological sense that this is a material with uh, a bevy of known toxic chemicals in it and has already been shown in uh, concentrations that are already in the environment to be killing species. Uh, And we have to consider that as plastics production in general increases exponentially, so too does microplastic pollution. So what is not being poisoned by microplastics out in the environment right now may very well be in five or 10 years as those concentrations go up. So that was the other point I kind of wanted to ask you about when you say a poison like no other. Um, The industries that are pushing these, these plastics out into the world uh, they claim that uh, they're not a poison or that the levels at which we ingest them uh, are not poisonous. Are, are they, have they been thoroughly debunked at this point or is there still wiggle room in the scientific debate? I mean, for these corporations, there will always be wiggle room, right? Yeah. Um, so what they have always pitched plastic as is, is this benign material, um, right? It's inert. You can wrap food in plastic. And not only does it um, uh, keep that, pla- that that food safe from you know, pathogen things like that, it, it makes it last longer. Don't worry about the plastic itself in contact with that food. It is completely inert. Um, but all along, uh, there have been something on the order of 13,000 different chemicals used in plastic. And scientists consider a quarter of those to be of concern, meaning they're either outright toxic, known to be toxic to humans and other species, um, or they're persistent in the environment. So things like PFAS uh, that, are, that are getting a lot of headlines these days, these, these compounds uh, persist in the environment as poisons. Uh, where we're on the frontier here is that scientists have sh- 
shown uh, very clearly that these particles are not only in every corner of the environment, but are in all sorts of human tissues. Uh, lungs, we're inhaling a good amount of them. It's also in human blood, in placentas, all sorts of these organs. Um, the, the frontier now is, is determining at what concentrations these become problematic for humans. There has actually been pre previous research, even before the field of microplastics really took off, of uh, people who work in synthetic textiles factories having much higher rates of uh, respiratory cancer um, as well as cancers of the uh, digestive system. So we know in high concentrations, this stuff is, is very bad. Um, it's determining now how much is going to be um, really problematic for human beings to be breathing and in, ingesting. Uh, we know for sure that it is not good to have in our bodies. The question now is just how bad. You said in their uh, PFASs, do I have that correct? Yeah. Can you describe what that is? Yeah. So these are, this is a thing that I concentrate a good amount on in the book here. This kind of the broad class of chemicals known as endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs. So these are, um, there are a lot of these used in plastics. Uh, BPA is a really the famous one that was banned in the United States. Um, but the issue here is, is what scientists call regrettable substitution uh, in that these companies are taking out BPA, but substituting in other compounds that might be just as toxic, if not more toxic. Um, PFASs is a, a class of these chemicals and these EDCs. And um, what these uh, EDCs do is that even in very low doses, they can be highly toxic. They mess with the endocrine system, basically the hormones of the human body. Um, it, 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 their dosing is very weird. So typically we think of a poison as something that becomes a poison as the dose increases, like even Advil is poisonous, right? If you take enough of it, uh, EDCs work differently. Uh, they have a weird curve. Um, so they're very highly toxic at these low concentrations. But when you get to kind of medium doses, um, it, the toxicity drops off and then goes right back up when you get to these higher doses. Uh, so the concern here is that if we are breathing and eating these microplastics, are those doses, because they're they're small, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are not toxic. Um, so again, that's a, a frontier in the human health side of things. Uh, we know that it's in the body. How much is going to be too much uh, causing sorts of diseases? Yeah, and one of the interesting things about that is, uh, and, and you touch on this in the book, is that uh, when we're discussing the effect of these microplastics on the human body, it, it may have different effects at different stages of life. So you talk about how like infants who crawl around on the ground a lot, uh, who maybe they have a you know baby formula that's um, in a in a plastic container that the heat you know produces all these microplastics. Um, is, is there any sort of evidence of what these EDCs, uh, their effect on child development, do we know? Uh, okay, so yeah, so um, the, the the primary concern here with children for, for EDCs is that, again, these chemicals uh, muck with the hormone system. So our hormones do this really delicate ballet as we are developing um, as humans, uh, kicking off these various developmental processes, um, you know, building the brain, that sort of thing. You do not want these chemicals getting into those processes, especially in these young developing humans. We uh, have evidence that there are microplastics in, uh, in the placenta. So the concern here is that these particles are passing from mother 
there's two there young um, before the children are even born. And that's an, an especially critical time for development um, while still inside um, a womb. So yes, when we are talking about the exposure of microplastics in the home, there have been a number of studies that have have really agreed on on the concentrations that are are in in like a, a typical living room. You might get hundreds of thousands of these particles selling on the floor each day. So it is of paramount importance that people are religiously vacuuming, especially if you have these children crawling around on the floor and, and kicking up these fibers. These are largely coming from our clothing. Um, one study found that a, a typical person might shed a billion microfibers uh, made out of plastic, things like nylon uh, and polyester, a, a billion of those a year. Um, so it's extraordinary amounts of this stuff. And uh, as there is more and more research into nanoplastics, uh, it is still very difficult and expensive to detect those. But scientists are finding that you are getting exponentially more of these smallest of particles as they get smaller and smaller uh, beyond that five millimeter uh, cutoff of microplastics down to a millionth of a meter and even smaller. Uh, these things get down to the size where they can actually infiltrate individual cells and pass the blood-brain barrier as it has been shown in mice. Um, this is not stuff that we want to have in our body uh, in, in any way whatsoever, um, you know, EDCs or otherwise. Yeah, it, it's kind of what you talk about in the book of where plastics are. Like, I, I didn't quite realize how much plastic was in clothing. When you say something like yeah. thirds of our clothing is plastic, when we're wearing this, um, and, and you mentioned it can get down to a, a cellular level, uh, th this must be breaching our skin on on some level, right? That's a good question, actually. There has been some research into how those nanoplastics might actually get into pores. I don't think that has been quite settled yet. Um, it, it is it's very clear that we are breathing uh, perhaps 7,000 of these microplastics a day from indoor air. Um, but when it comes to the skin contact, so you, you we've all heard of the, the microbead controversy. Those were banned in products in the United States uh, a while back, about 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, that ban was only for wash-off products. So things like facial scrubs, um, you can't have microbeads in those anymore. Uh, that ban did not touch uh, makeup. So makeup has a tremendous amount of microplastic in it. They're these little ball bearings essentially are in the product to make it go on smoothly on the skin. Um, those are still widely, widely used. Um, so you're applying that directly to the skin. Is the skin uh, absorbing those microplastics through the pores um, to be determined? But I think that the, the much larger contribution is not going to be even eating or drinking, but inhalation. Um, again, something like 7,000 particles potentially inhaled a day um, of all sorts of size ranges beyond uh, smaller than you know five millimeters, obviously, uh, down at those nanoscales. Those are much better able to get deeply into the lungs and transfer into the bloodstream. Yeah. And, and you also talk about how, um, you know, because this is about the effect on the body as well as the planet. Um, like this, this absurd number of plastics, like something, uh, I think you mentioned, like the equivalent of a garbage truck full of plastics enters the ocean uh, every minute. Um, and there's, you know, you mentioned all these plastics in the air, on our skin, in our clothes, in our containers. Um, and it seems like part of the reason that there's so much out there in the environment um, 
is because it's it's cheaper to make new plastic than it is to recycle. So we're constantly making more and more of it. Why exactly is it cheaper to to be minting new plastic uh, as opposed to recycling? The economics of recycling are, are truly absurd. So the reason that plastics are so cheap is that they are made out of fossil fuels. So this is a, a, a product of the fossil fuel industry. It's very important to keep in mind that something like 99% of plastics are still made out of oil and gas. Um, so the same companies that are destroying the planet with climate change are the ones that are very much shifting a lot of their investment into plastics going forward. They see the writing on the wall, which is that we are going to decarbonize our economy and we're going to be burning fewer fossil fuels as fuels. They want us to use more fossil fuels as plastics. So the issue with recycling has always been in the United States that this is a for-profit system. Um, you can gather up that plastic and recycle it, but that takes a lot of time and effort and money. Um, it, it remains very cheap to produce plastic. This is the central paradox of this material is that it is absurdly cheap um, to the point of worthlessness. And then we just we throw it out when we're done with single use packaging. Um, but it is this uh, extremely consequential material that the, the cost the scientists call these externalities that the when we use this product there are all these sorts of side effects and the environment obviously as you mentioned these these garbage trucks equivalent of plastic being dumped in there uh, regularly uh, day after day after day and there, the projection is that the production of plastic which is now at a trillion pounds a year, uh, which is even crazy when you think about plastic is very lightweight. You need a lot of plastic to, to equal a trillion pounds. But that trillion pounds is going to triple by 2060 if this fossil fuel industry has its way. Again, putting much more investment in plastics uh, because they see the writing on the wall. Um, yeah, so you, you'll hear um, often about uh, bio-based plastics. These are just plastics that Basically, the same exact material, the carbon, instead of coming from fossil fuels, is coming from plant material. It is not a way out of this. Uh, you need a lot of land and water to grow those plants. And these plastics are also packed with the same sorts of awful chemicals that regular plastics have. Um, so, yeah, the recycling is, as an enterprise, is fundamentally broken and has opened always been a crutch for the plastics industry to say, oh, it's you, the consumer, who uh, created this this plastics pollution crisis because you're not handling this product properly. When all along, it was they knew that recycling was was busted. It wasn't economically viable. It just allowed them to keep producing as much plastic as they wanted um, in increasing amounts, really, uh, under the guise of sustainability. Right. And, and even these, you know, instead of using a single use bag, a reusable bag, I'm looking at one I have on my shelf right now. I'm like, I'm sure there are plastics in it. Mm. Um, so, OK, you, you said that these um, the fossil fuel companies are more heavily investing in plastics um, and, and bio based plastics. So they're, they're getting it from plant the carbon from plant material. Uh, is there no difference in terms of uh like the toxicity, the kinds of chemicals um, that are in the plastic when it breaks down. Um, I, I mean, is there any benefit to using it from plants? It sounds to my uh, layperson brain that, uh, you know, a plant is better than a fossil fuel, but what do I know? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds nice, right? And there has been some actually modeling that came out, I believe it was last year, I, I covered the study for for Wired, uh, my, my day job as a science reporter here, that was looking at, uh, theoretically, what bio-based plastics could do is that because they're made out of plants that have absorbed carbon dioxide as they have grown, uh, plastics, bio-based plastics could conceivably be carbon capturing tools. Um, but that comes with a lot, a lot of assumptions, uh, primarily that uh, you're not going to take up an extraordinary amount of land and water to grow all of these plants to turn into plastics. Those come with an, an emissions inherent in them, right? The industrialized agricultural processes. You got to ship the plastic around as well. It takes a lot of energy to turn those plants into to plastics. Um, but that has been thrown around as a, a potential benefit of bio-based plastics that, that they could capture carbon. But at the end of the day, they're, they're plastics. It is essentially the same exact kind of plastic with all the sorts of plasticizers and other chemicals that make plastic a plastic. You're just getting carbon from plants instead of from fossil fuels. Uh, it's one of these things that we cannot you know, just eat up the propaganda from, from these yeah. plastic companies that this is going to solve the problem. At the end of the day, scientists and anti-pollution groups roundly agree that the only way out of both the macro plastic and the micro plastic crises is to just produce less of the stuff. Bio-based plastics are not going to save us. So for producing less of the stuff, I mean, plastics do have you know, certain certain areas where plastics are used, it seems like it, it's very feasible to just replace it, like um, plastic bottles, you know, for instance, maybe we could just have reusable titanium bottles. Um, but what about in things like, um, I mean, it is used in like modern medicine, as, uh, as you mentioned, uh, wire insulators. Um, are, are there, you, you said produce less of it, but are, are we going to have to live with plastics on some level um, or no? I, I do believe so. Yeah. So these use cases that you're talking about are very important. Uh, wire insulation in our homes is made out of plastic to keep our homes from burning down. That's a good thing, right? Um, medical devices made out of plastic are saving lots of money. You wouldn't have modern medicine without plastic, basically, um, which is a, a good thing in a sense. But you have to also consider that are these plastic products, um, either as medical devices in the human body or, you know, IV trips, things like that, are those plastic products putting chemicals into the human body in the uh, the medical process? Um, so then we have to consider that, yes, single-use plastics are absolutely out of control and absolutely absurd, especially when you consider that it was not that long ago that we were getting along just fine without single-use plastic. This is more propaganda from the industry that um, that these are essential materials and essential use cases. But wait a second, 20, even 25 years ago, uh, we did not have this amount of single-use plastic, got along just fine. We were doing okay. And in fact, the environment was doing much better because there wasn't so much plastic flowing into it. So um, the trajectory that we're on is the wrong one, which is that, again, tripling production by 2060 is going to be catastrophic. Uh, as the production of plastic increases exponentially, scientists have shown time and time again, I just published a story in Wired about this, uh, about Arctic sediments. Um, they went through those and found an exponential increase in the 
amount of microplastics in our Arctic sediments since the 1930s. As we produce more, these, the environment gets more corrupted with microplastics. Um, we cannot let the industry also shift its focus into the developing world, which is what they're obviously doing, but they're flooding the developing world with these plastic, these single-use plastics in particular that they say are essential. They they are not. And they're they're overloading these developing countries with plastic waste that they don't know what to do with. So yet, yeah, like you say, that there are very much alternatives that we have used in the past. That aluminum, glass, things that are very much easier to recycle. Um, we we cannot rely on recycling to get us out of this mess. We just need to produce less of this stuff. In terms of cleaning things up, though, because we, we already kind of have, um, as you mentioned, an exponentially growing amount of plastic. Um, it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. And even if it did, um, the, the stuff would still be out there in the environment. In, in terms of cleanup, um, I've occasionally come across stories of like, you know, some genetically modified beetle will, you know, eat plastics and that'll save us or, you know, something weird like that. I'm probably getting the details wrong. Uh, is there any uh, possibility that, um, you know, we, we could sort of, uh, I don't know, cleanse ourselves of the amount of plastic here, not, not in terms of reducing the um, the amount that we produce, but just cleaning up what's out there? It's not just you. I get pitched on this uh, constantly. So uh, yeah. bacteria uh, that consume plastic being the future, that sort of thing. Uh, unfortunately, what is out in the environment is out there for good. Um, microplastics have so thoroughly contaminated the atmosphere that they're blowing around uh, to every corner of the planet. Um, they're in every bit of the oceans. Uh, we are increasingly loading the land itself with with microplastics these the 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 solution here is to just stop producing so much plastic uh, which is easier said than done obviously it's, it's going to be a, a huge battle against this industry uh so the thing with uh, something like a bacteria that eats plastic is all well and good but it's not like you can release that bacteria into the environment and the atmosphere and and hope for the best that it's going to eat all that plastic um it's sad that this is the, the best we can do is to uh, immediately bring down the production of plastic, which is the hope of the the UN International Plastics Treaty that's currently under negotiations, that there might be some sort of cap on production in that. Um, if you can believe it, the United States is pushing against that because we have such a huge plastics uh, and oil and gas industry here. Um, and when I talk in the book about solutions to this, I, I talk about this idea that there are upstream solutions and, and downstream solutions. So a really great one is a super simple technology. Uh, it's one of my favorite pieces of technology ever. It's Mr. Trash Wheel. It's a barge that sits in Baltimore Harbor and actually collects plastic floating out to sea to keep it from getting into the ocean in the first place. Um, that should be in every river around the world, quite honestly. Um, once it's out in the ocean, there's really no bringing it back. Um, so yes, reduction in production is paramount, uh, but there are these ways that we can keep the plastic from escaping to the environment. Is there any precedent for something like what we're talking about where uh, a new material is invented, becomes ubiquitous, and then uh, without 
you know, a more, say, advanced material coming into being, uh, we sort of turn back the clock and say, well, we're just going to go back to using glass and titanium and things like that. Um, it, it just, in a very, you know, layperson understanding, it doesn't feel like that's a, that's kind of what we do as humans. We, we tend to want what's new and like, am I wrong? Is there any precedent for kind of like this, um, massive like down push on plastics that we're, we're, we're sort of talking about? Is there a precedent here? No, there, there has never been a material that humans have created in these truly extraordinary, exponentially increasing amounts. So plastics were actually invented uh, in the 1800s, but really didn't get mass produced until uh, around World War II, where they started replacing parachutes uh, made out of cotton with nylon, for instance. So um, because of shortages of, of cotton rubber as well, so you can make, make synthetic rubber uh, to make tires out of, that's a, a technically a plastic as well. And it was really after World War II that the production went up exponentially. We have had these really useful materials throughout human history, but we've always treated them with a certain amount of I don't know, and maybe respect isn't the right word, but you know, you had something that was precious. Like if you were um, a Bronze Age metal worker, right? That was an extraordinarily precious material because it it was very difficult to to procure and to manufacture. So you keep it in circulation. Same with glass. Um, in the various ancient empires, right? Uh, using glass uh, and steel, not steel, uh, other forms of metal, that sort of thing. Uh, but it, it was this precious material that you you held on to because it was expensive. Plastic is, is the opposite. It is, again, this kind of contradictory material where it is at once extremely valuable in that it has so many uses. It's very tough. It's very flexible. Uh, it's waterproof. Uh, it is a very useful material that we treat literally like garbage. Uh, we just throw it out when we're done with it because it is so cheap, because it is made out of these cheap fossil fuels. There is no precedent here for the skyrocketing production of a material that is actually also much more readily escaping into the environment than you know a glass bottle would. If you get a glass bottle out into the ocean, it breaks down into tiny pieces of glass and essentially becomes sand again. Um, the plastic doesn't do that. It breaks into these smaller and smaller pieces of microplastic and nanoplastic, which never go away. Um, we don't have a roadmap here for tackling a pollutant like this and a, a really a poison like no other in that it is a you know, again, something like 13,000 different chemicals, a quarter of which scientists consider to be of concern. It is a bunch of poison wrapped up into one package. Uh, we desperately need to bring down production, um, but we also need to renegotiate our relationship with this material. We need to treat it like a precious resource that, that should be reserved for things like wiring for insulation in homes, that sort of thing. Uh, we we have to turn back the clock on our this absurd notion of single-use plastic that is something that we can use and throw away because it is, um, it is making the planet very, very sick and it is likely making us as humans sick as well. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is a weird situation though, because as you said, unprecedented, it, it is, a, a more advanced material in some ways than what we had before. Um, it, it, and one of the things you, you talked about 
the effect on the body and making us sick. Um, well, do, do you still use microwaves, by the way? There, there are so many plastic containers of microwavable <laughs> food that we, we heat up. And that, that just seems so crazy to me. I do not have a microwave, no. And microwaving plastic is essentially the worst thing you could possibly do with plastic. Um, there was actually a study that came out last week or the week before that found just a, a tremendous amount of microplastic is released into the food when you microwave something in plastic. So plastic is a very tough material, obviously, um, but it does break down largely under um, UV bombardment. So that's why it, it tends to disintegrate out on the open ocean, for instance. Uh, but the other thing is, is heat and cold um, break down the bonds in plastic. So do not also freeze plastic uh, if you can avoid it. That is something else that breaks it apart into microplastics. Um, but my God, no, do not microwave anything in plastic. Don't put any food in contact with plastic if you can if you can manage it because it just leaches not only microplastics, but the component chemicals of that plastic into your food. I, I think that there is a, a kind of a tide turning here where the public is coming around to um, this realization also in science that, that plastic is actively poisoning us. Uh, so I, I talk in the book about one study that looked at um, phthalate. This is a, another kind of EDC um, looked at phthalate exposure in a group of, I believe it was 100,000 people. So they went through um, blood samples and detected how much phthalates were in there and then linked it to uh, health problems in those people. And, and um, they found that um, a conservative estimate, phthalates alone might be leading to 100,000 early deaths in the United States each year. Um, that's wild. That's one chemical in plastic um, that is that is being linked to these health problems. So in the next I, uh, probably five years, we will have a solid body of evidence showing the many ways that plastics are making us sick. And the, the tricky part is going to be teasing apart microplastics from uh, macroplastic exposure. So uh, microwaving food in plastic, how much is that contributing to human health problems versus the microplastics that we are inhaling, uh, again, 7,000 of them potentially a day. Uh, that, that'll happen, that science will happen, but we are the science is just getting going on the human health side of microplastic exposure. But uh, again, like five years give it and, and we'll have a good body of evidence here. Well, why has it taken so long for, for this like science to develop? I mean, it seems like this is something that has been going on for decades. Uh, it seems like kind of obvious when you pointed out that, okay, there's tons of plastic out there. This plastic degrades somehow. Uh, it's probably not healthy. Look, why, why now are we just sort of waking up to this? I talk in the book about this case uh, in the early 1970s, actually one of the very first documentations of microplastics in the environment. Um, the oceanographer was out in the middle of Atlantic and finding pieces of plastic, uh, which should not have been there. And he wrote it up in a, a paper and got a visit from a, a representative from the plastics industry. Uh, voicing his displeasure about uh, that research. Um, the scientist did a second paper finding more plastics off the coast of um, the Eastern United States. Uh, and in that is, it's great. He, he notes in the acknowledgements of that second paper um, that that plastics representative for bringing the, uh, the problem to the attention of the industry. Um, so, 
uh, that after that paper, um, there were a, a couple more about microplastics, but really the attention shifted to macroplastics. This uh, the stuff that's much more easy for the, the, the I think the public to get its head around. You don't want a bottle or a bag floating out in the ocean. You can see that it's just harder to visualize microplastics and impossible to visualize nanoplastics because they're so small. You can never see them with the naked eye. Um, so it had, that's, and that's all well and good. I think that that's good that environmentalists focused on the, the macroplastics, but the, the term microplastic wasn't scientifically defined until 2004. Um, and it took a couple more years after that for the science to really get going. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the, the, the central issue has been that it's it's tough to detect this stuff. I had mentioned that it's very expensive to detect nanoplastics in particular because the equipment you need is extraordinarily expensive. Uh, not every lab, and in fact, very few labs have that technology. Um, so, but we're 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 getting going here, and Europe in particular is far far ahead of the United States in getting into the human health effects um, that, that those papers will be coming out in the next couple of years, I think, showing um, the ways that microplastics are influencing human health. But you know, things like that, um, that phthalate paper that I had mentioned that, that found 100,000 premature deaths in the U.S., um, that's, I think, a little bit further along. Scientists are showing in general how plastics are, are harming human health. But again, it's going to be this question of how much of the contribution is from microplastics um, and how much is it from macroplastics like food packaging? Which we, we haven't discussed quite as much here, but macroplastics, if, if you have a plastic container, <clears throat> it doesn't uh, degrade while you're using it such that you come in contact with these microplastics. Is that going to be bad for you too? Yeah. I mean, it is, it's con continuously degrading as you're using them, especially as you're microwaving it, um, right. that is breaking apart the plastic and infusing that food with a lot of microplastic. There was a study that came out a couple of years ago of baby bottles. So preparing infant formula in, in warm formula in that plastic um, breaks it apart and is dosing babies. They calculated with a million microplastics a day just in their form formula and perhaps trillions of nanoplastics in that formula. So under no circumstances, especially for children, should you ever prepare liquids or foods um, in plastic, especially if they're hot or cold. Just don't just don't do it. Um, it. We don't need extensive human health studies to show that that is not something that you want in your food and, and liquids, especially for children. Um, just I know it's hard because we don't, as consumers, have choice here. Capitalism is supposed to be about it's choice, right? We get to go to the store and choose between 20 different kinds of cereals, uh, all of which are wrapped in plastic. We don't have a choice there, yet we have so much choice about the brands. We need a fundamental shift here where, where these corporations start deploying alternatives and you get hopefully from that a groundswelling of support in the public um, coming around to the idea that we just do not want things that are going into the human body to have been wrapped in plastic under any circumstances but especially if they're if they're heating or cooling uh, in food contact plastics yeah it's um so i i guess what i'm saying then is uh are, are macroplastics bad insofar as they degrade into microplastics or or is there something at the different scale of the materials that has different health effects 
Yeah. So ma macroplastics, um, that uh, again, returning to that phthalate study that yeah. I was talking about, they were careful to say that, that we do not know whether this is coming from macroplastics like bottles and bags, or if there's a contribution of microplastics. It's just, it's very hard to tease apart the different contributions there. Um, but because we are getting more of these studies that are looking at chemicals very specific to plastics. So plasticizer chemicals, um, you're going to find in plastic. And if you're finding it in blood, you know where that 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 chemical has come from. It's it's likely food contact uh, plastic. So um, this this is why scientists and anti-pollution groups are, are saying that we just need less plastic. So even if we developed a perfect recycling system um, and 100% of plastic was somehow recycled, this is not something that we want to have in contact with human beings. We know yeah. that a good chunk of the chemicals are toxic in macroplastics or in microplastics. Uh, we just need less of this stuff. So I, I guess one thing that I was curious about is um, if we're you know, talking about sort of the future where we're producing less of these plastics, um, is there uh, is there any scenario you think? I mean, you you are deep in the weeds of this stuff. Um, have you seen besides scientific progress on the, um, sort of the health effects, the effects in our, our environment, um, do you see any signs of hope in terms of policy changes? You mentioned the, the micro beads, uh, in certain, you know, facial scrubs being banned, um, anything else like that on the horizon, uh, or, or what's really like the trajectory of this movement you think in the next five to 10 years? I think at its core, just to repeat something I already mentioned, is that we are seeing, a, I think, increasing awareness in the public of just how terrible plastics are both for the environment and for, for human health and switching to alternatives, like more people using metal plastic bottles, seemingly insignificant. But I think when you get this um, this this realization spreading through the population, little things add up, right? So if, if we as a consumer base can push back against these corporations to start using better materials that are more easily recyclable or just reusable, like a metal water bottle, um, that that's going to help little by little. We, um, but we really need, I, I often tell people this, like the most impactful thing you can do as an individual is to you know, do, donate time or money to anti-plastics groups, right? So those are the groups that are actually in the rooms for these sorts of negotiations, like the UN treaty. Um, you as a as an individual consumer cannot be there, I'm sorry to say. Um, but but these groups very much are, are talking to politicians. And at the end of the day, it's the politicians that are going to get legislation enacted to, to cap the production, ideally, of plastics. We're seeing some movement on this in a place like California, um, generally just single-use plastic bans um, being enacted elsewhere. Uh, Senator Jeff Merkley from, from Oregon is, is doing some really good stuff at the federal level um, about trying to get uh, microplastics in particular as kind of something that should be bumped up the radar as a, a human health threat. Um, but yeah, it's it's all well and good that we make individual choices to use less plastic. And in fact, 
that's going to improve the health of, of your family if you're not microwaving things in plastic. Um, but we really need, at the end of the day, unfortunately, have to rely on politicians to enact this change. Because given the opportunity, these plastics companies are going to keep producing exponentially more of the material because it makes them money. Um, they're legally, like this is the perverse thing, is they're legally obligated to their shareholders, right, to maximize their profits, which means they're legally obligated to destroy this planet. So um, that's ridiculous. And the only way we can push back against that is with, with politicians that fight against that influence of the fossil fuel and plastics industries. Well, I think on that note, I know you have a time constraint. I want to give you a little bit of time before you jump into your next meeting. Um, I think that may be a good note to end it on. Uh, a little little hopeful after, yeah. uh, you know, 40 minutes of uh, we're all being poisoned. <laughs> as, as, as best we can. And yes. actually, maybe if, if you have a little extra time. I, I, I do, of course. I like, yeah, yeah. I just like to make sure that this link is, is abundantly clear when I do interviews for this sort of thing. So the... Climate change and, and plastics are very much two sides of the same coin. So not only are plastics made out of fossil fuels, um, they're actually responsible for a significant amount of emissions themselves. So it takes energy to pull that oil and gas out of the ground. Uh, it takes energy to turn that into plastic. It takes energy to ship it around. Uh, in the United States, where our recycling system is totally busted, uh, the dirty secret has been for the past couple of decades, we've been shipping massive amounts of our plastic that we haven't been able to profitably recycle overseas to developing countries to deal with, um, which is an extraordinary environmental injustice here. So it takes energy to do that. It's like there's at no point in the cycle are, are plastics not truly awful for ecosystems and for the planet at large. Um, the I think the projection was that by 2040, uh, the emissions from the growing plastics industry will be the equivalent of 600 coal-fired power plants um, running full blast. And so this is the, the, the injustice here is that we are making pretty good progress in the United States, at least, of decommissioning coal-powered power, coal-fired coal powered plants. Um, we're mostly replacing them with natural gas, which isn't great. It's a fossil fuel, but it's not as dirty as as uh, coal. Uh, as we're making that progress, the industry is just producing more emissions through plastic. It's um, it's it's gross. And it's, um, again, something that we're not going to make very much progress on as individuals unless we can we can get the politicians to notice that the politicians see this as a a, a concern for their constituents maybe they'll they'll help us take action because again left to their own devices these plastics companies are not going to voluntarily cut production yeah it's kind of like how you mentioned that uh, the plastics industry sort of pits the blame on the consumer um, mm. and similarly you know the solution uh, is being put on the back of a consumer, you know, oh, just get uh, get real silverware instead of plastic silverware, et cetera. Um, right. But yeah, it's a very individualistic uh, solution, which I, I think you would agree, though, is is definitely, from a health perspective, smart uh, for individuals to do, um, but I guess not complete to solve the problem. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that uh, nothing comes of getting rid of plastic in your life, right? Um, and maybe friends and family see what you're doing and, and take action 
themselves and that can spread by word of mouth that way. You just you just make your individual homes healthier. Um, nothing bad comes from that. Uh, it, it's it, like, as you say here, though, it, the, the plastics industry uh, would really rather us not use less plastic because that cuts into their bottom line. And they would really rather blame us as consumers, both for creating the demand for plastics so they're like oh they're we're just meeting a demand for this material it's it's not our fault um which is uh, again really a, a perversion of of capitalism but uh yeah so we we need to change the narrative here that the plastics has always been pitched as this this benign product that we don't need to worry about and in fact it makes everything safer when all along it has been poisonous um and delaying that action has created a lot of plastic pollution in the environment that we're not going to be able to take back. But there are things we can still do. I, I try to be as hopeful as, as possible in this book uh, that there are ways to mitigate microplastic pollution, which is, first of all, producing less plastic. Um, but yeah, we're, we're not going to get very far as individuals. But I think as as political entities, as constituents, we can actually uh bump this up in the minds of our politicians to hopefully um, break free of the spell of the, the fossil fuel industry and, and take action. Here, here. Mm -hmm. uh, the book is A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. Uh, Matt Simon, uh, is there anything else before we go? Uh, do you have a website where, uh, where people can go? I know you write for Wired, but if someone wants to dive more deeply into your work, where can they go? Yeah, that you just Google my name, and uh, I think one of the things that pops up is my landing page for Wired, where I'm publishing regularly. But um, I'm also at MrMattSimon.net is my homepage. I don't really use Twitter anymore. Um, I guess most like other people. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, is is Wired how how supportive is Wired of all this? By the way, I mean I, I know it's more of a, a tech science magazine, so I guess it falls into their purview. Um, but I, I, and this is totally, um, you know, unrelated, I guess, to what we've been talking about, but I, I am curious as, as like a, a journalist these days, this is kind of, um, I don't know if it's like the sexiest topic on earth. <laughs> what, what, what success have you found in terms of like being able to, uh, to do this and, and live on this kind of work? Yeah, no, Wired has been extraordinarily supportive. And, and in fact, I just published a story today about microplastics. Um, I was actually publishing stories for microplastics, uh, about microplastics for Wired for years ahead of even when I started doing the book and just realized that nobody had done a book on microplastics yet. Um, yeah, it's not the the sexiest of topics, um, but I think at Wired, we're very much, um, as you say, about science in addition to technology. And it's about better understanding our world and uh, being a, a fairly optimistic uh, publication throughout its history, I think uh, we're trying our best to present solutions to this problem because what the plastics industry wants us to do is to feel dejected about this. We're not going to take action if we feel like everything is hopeless. Um, and that just lets them get away with um, literal murder in this case. Uh, well, I'm glad you're out there doing it. Um, very important topic. And I, I do think that, um, as you mentioned, people are increasingly engaged with it because it does affect um, our health. It's something that is, uh, you know, ubiquitous in our lives. So uh, mm -hmm. when I say not the most sexy topic, it's definitely something <laughs> that's gripping for people. You know, everyone you talk about uh, this issue with, they they kind of 
there's there's a tinge of panic in the air. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, on that note, Matt Simon, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you to Matt Simon, and thanks for listening to Dunk Tank. I'm Duncan Gammy. See you next time.